Welcome to Empowered Leadership. We share candid conversations with successful leaders about what it takes to cultivate the leadership, life, and legacy you desire, and to do it with confidence, ease, and joy. I'm your host, Alexandra Reese. And today I'm joined by Jamie Waltz. Jamie has over two decades of leadership experience in the public sector, first in public health at the federal and state levels, then at the city of Portland, and most recently as a director in Multnomah County. Jamie is currently taking a sabbatical to spend time with her family, travel, and explore all that life has to offer outside of work before she considers her next adventure. And two qualities that I appreciate most about Jamie are, first, her adaptive approach to leadership. She's not interested in band-aid solutions to surface-level problems. She's really committed to doing the transformational work that's required to achieve real systemic change which is something we'll talk about in our conversation today and is reflected in a lot of her major accomplishments through her work, both at the city and the county, where she accomplished some major milestones, such as the renovation of a bridge, the renovation of the Portland building, and the redesign of our community services department. The second thing I really appreciate about Jamie is her people-centric approach to leadership. She really understands that real change out in the world can only happen when leaders do the real change within themselves and our teams. And she really has walked the talk. And again, this is another topic that we'll dive into our conversation today. So without further ado, welcome to another episode of Empowered Leadership. Let's dive in. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me on Empowered Leadership today, Jamie. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you for having me. How are you doing? I am doing wonderfully. Excited. It's almost the weekend, even if it's a little drizzly and rainy. Yes. The first tulips are starting to open, which always gives me hope. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. Well, as the name of this show is called Empowered Leadership, the question I always like to start with is, What does empowered leadership mean to you? That's such a great question because I think there's so much out there about leadership and how to be a good leader. And I think I've kind of distilled it down for myself and the way that I view it as kind of a two-pronged approach. There's the, the, for lack of a better term, the outside game. And, you know, those are the skills, the technical aspects of how we lead people and move systems and structures and, you know, get things accomplished. But then there's really the the inside part of it, and that's kind of the what you know I've heard is the inside out leadership approach, and that's how we manage ourselves. And I think that that's a really important aspect that when you know you learn about what is leadership, there's less focus on how do we as leaders get clear in our grounding and who we are in order to be able to lead teams and systems and people. For leadership, one of the The quotes that I love comes from a professor at Harvard Kennedy School of Business on adaptive leadership. His name is Ronald Heifetz. And he talks about attention is the currency of leadership. And that I think really characterizes this inside out way of thinking and that there's a lot of power in where we leaders put our attention and focus. 
there's actually a lot of neuroscience behind the attention and what happens when we're in stressed situations and states and Mm -hmm. how we focus our attention. And I think that that then extends to really that emotional intelligence and the the mindfulness and compassion approach of leadership that I've really worked to embody over the last couple of years as I've led um, through government agencies. And I I think that um, it's really about regulating our emotions and recognizing how our emotions are at play with the the circumstances and the other people around us. And so I could go into more, but I really think that there's you know, just kind of the internal state first. And then that leads to how we look at using all those technical skills around leadership that we all know about, you know, the communication, the how do you set visions? Um, I really, truly believe it all starts from within. So I'm hearing when you think about exceptional leadership, it's the easiest part is really that skill building related to the outer work that we do with our teams and our organizations to set vision and strategy and execute. And then there's the bigger piece, which is the inner work that we do to, you know, understand who we are, to cultivate awareness of our emotional state and how we're feeling, and then to do the work to regulate that so that we can show up and be present and aware. Yeah. Did I get that? Yeah, very. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, that's about presence, right? Like you and I are sitting here today, just being fully present with each other and, and listening, you know, we all sometimes talk about how, how do we effectively listen? And, you know, sometimes we come to listen with our own agendas and ready for our rebuttals, but like really listening to those, the quiet beneath the words and what's really not being said. And that that's part of the attention that I'm talking about. And then recognizing my, my own personal response and meaning making of that, you know, and, and being able to be fully present and just sit and, and, truly understand what's being said by the other person. Yeah, I was uh, doing some research on listening for a newsletter I wrote a couple months ago. And I knew most communication was nonverbal. I was astounded that uh, more recent research has shown that up to 90% of our communication comes from not the words we say, but the tone of our voice, the facial expressions we have, those other aspects of our body language and how we're showing up in a room. And I think I want to emphasize what you shared around the importance of being present because you can't be fully aware of those cues and take in all that information unless you're able to be fully present. And I think every leader I work with knows that intellectually. What they struggle with more is how to actually do it. And I'll share one thing that I found to be particularly powerful as a tool. And then I'd love to hear what's worked well for you since it sounds like you've done a lot of that work. Uh, And that one thing is really shifting the way that you think about an agenda for a conversation. So most people come into a conversation with the objective of getting to a certain external outcome. Like, I'll give an example from a session I had recently with a client. Uh, One of her direct reports had had a misstep. She needed to address that. They needed to figure out how to remedy the situation. And then they needed to create a follow-up plan. And had she gone into that first conversation about the misstep 
with an agenda of, I've got to check these boxes and get things done, she would have missed all of the other information that ended up coming out during that session from the facial expressions, the tone of voice that signaled something else was going on. And because through our coaching work, she'd really determined for herself, she wanted to adopt a different agenda for that meeting, which was, I'm going to look at this as an opportunity to strengthen our relationship and figure out what's going on beneath the surface. And we'll start there. And with that agenda, it allowed her to be fully present because she wasn't in her mind thinking about how do I connect this back to that outcome I need to drive toward. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's so much in there, right? When we not, when we stop making it about us, and we really just get curious, you know, and, and I think that there's the role of our of leadership to me is to definitely not know it all, but just to be incredibly curious. I used to joke yeah. with my staff that I get got paid to ask questions. You know, that was my job. And it's like, you know, my job too. <laughs> yeah. Tell me more. One of my favorite questions is what else yeah. can be true here? Because when we can recognize that. And I think this goes into some some things we might talk about later, but like going into a conversation with control and trying to force an outcome, you may achieve just a sliver of what you're trying to do, but really, you like you said, you miss so much stuff. And I think back into my career and in, in different situations where I've had to work with direct reports that we didn't necessarily align on the process of mm. the, the vision of how we did something. You know, and I came in with this forceful look away of like, it's got to, we've got to be inclusive, you know, all these leadership principles, we've got to do this. And it was much more of a forceful approach. And it, and almost, it, it will kind of backfired on me in that it didn't create that connection. It didn't, and it created more tension. When I had a similar situation, like a year and a half later, after I had done quite a bit of work and gone through this program, I was able to do a lot of coaching and mentoring from a different place. And it was from a place of compassion and curiosity, instead of like having to have it be a right a certain way. And I also disconnected myself from the need, you know, I needed something to shift, but how we made that shift, I let go of that how piece and it unfolded in a way that it shifted anyway. It's almost like it's not about having no agenda. It's about shifting the agenda from I've got to get this short-term result to I've got to build the right connections and strengthen relationships to enable us to deliver results sustainably over time. Knowing that if we have that foundation, we're going to be able to navigate the bumps in the road easier and better and with more compassion and grace. And when you have that strength of relationship, it also makes it easier to enter into tough conversations like the ones we're talking about with with compassion, because you already are assuming good intent. You already know you have a lot of currency in your trust bank, to use that metaphor. Yeah. And I think I'm going to bring in this concept of adaptive leadership, because I think that's a, what you described is, you know, we could just go in and check the boxes and have this agenda and get through this one issue. But really what that does is create more challenges down the road because you haven't taken that time to build the relationship, to create that environment where it's okay to have some level of conflict or feedback 
for the, the greater progress. And so, you know, with adaptive leadership, it's this concept that it's about diagnosing the issue and then making significant change towards that issue. And there's a distinction between technical fixes and adaptive leaders or adaptive challenges and changes. And I think about that in terms of like maybe, you know, the healthcare system, like you break, you break a, a bone, you go in, you get it set in a cast, and then you come back and get the cast off and it's fixed and it's done. But when we're talking about a chronic disease, you can't just, you know, slap on a quick band-aid to that. There's more systemic changes that need to be made for a person's health or prevention of a chronic disease. And it takes a lot more inputs to that. And so this concept of adaptive leadership when you're trying to, you know, set a vision and bring your, your folks to that is not about just the quick fixes because we know that they create more issues down the line. And so slowing down that the pace of the work and part of this adaptive leadership is actually how do you pace the work, right? Because I know in government, when we have, especially through the pandemic, when everything is constant emergency response mode, the pace gets really quick and it's like you're in a pressure cooker. And sometimes we had the lids blow off the pressure cooker, you know, and so a leader the role of our the leadership in this adaptive change is to create this, what they call the holding environment or the system where you have enough of that pressure in the pressure cooker that you're getting momentum, but you're not low so that there's you know no movement and you're not so high that you're exploding. Um, I think about a time when my when I was younger and my dad was cooking stew and the pressure cooker exploded and it was all over the kitchen, you know, and that's like, nightmare. <laughs> yeah. you know, and I've definitely made missteps and created that kind of metaphorical mess, you know, but that's where you learn from them. And then as leadership, it's like, you know, how you recover and repair. And I think you and I were having a conversation a couple of weeks ago about repair. Like I am a human being and I am going to have my own, you know, stories and meaning making and missteps, but, you know, humility and vulnerability, if you go to Brene Brown's work, is a big part of this. And so, you know, again, that goes into when you make these missteps, having that internal knowing and, you know, awareness really helps you how you recover and repair and move on. Yeah. So many good gems in there. I want to follow up on a couple things come to mind and maybe we can take them one by one. Uh, the first is this notion of slowing the pace of work. Everyone talks about needing to slow down, right? We shifted into high gear in 2020 because we didn't know what was coming. We wanted to be prepared, but we haven't downshifted. And I think it's as I look around in teams and I do engagement surveys and I talk to employees, they're feeling it. It's like, I need to downshift. I need to go back to a more sustainable pace. So one thing I would love to talk about is how do we do that? And then I'd love to come back after that and talk about repair work because that's a whole other fantastic topic. Yeah. So maybe we can start on the pace of work. I'm curious, what did you do? I mean, you hit the nail on the head that government had probably more on its plate than many other organizations during the pandemic. Yeah, and I will be the first to admit I didn't quite always, you know, do so well at it. When I was at Multnomah County, I was managing for very different 
groups, elections, transportation, animal services, and land use planning. And I think the pandemic exposed a lot of the cracks in our system, especially in government services and provision. And so we're doing significant change in each four of those divisions. And I was kind of this umbrella organization over, you know, a marketing person once said a house of brands. And I love that. You know, for a while, you're in the government setting, you're under a lot of scrutiny. There's a, a lot of um, eyes on you and there's a lot of immediacy, you know. And so one of the things that I did as we're making some change, and sometimes I couldn't, I couldn't slow down the pace. And I would recognize that. But oftentimes, if I had somebody come to me with something that felt really, really urgent or emergent to them, you know, I would first notice what was going on in my body, like my heart rate, you know, like I'm a doer, I've been built my career on getting things done and, you know, producing results. And I'd recognize that I'd start to get wrapped up and I'd be like, oh, here's, you know, my check engine, light, my, my signal that, oh, Jamie, first of all, you've got to take a couple deep breaths and slow down yourself. And then I would ask, you know, how, how urgent is this? You know, what is the deadline? And I would get them, ask them to just think about, you know, is this like something that needs to be dealt with absolutely today or can we do it, you know, week, two weeks? And I would constantly ask that. And that would be a question such that I would get my team, they would come to me with something and they would start to say, this doesn't need to be dealt with right away. So then I could file that for the later. But, you know, I would just remind staff that we could take a moment. And sometimes I would have them take some breaths, you know, and then I would also prioritize one of the things, again, that kind of external leadership piece is um, for each of the divisions, we set our North Star. So that was our horizon line where we're heading. And, you know, there's a lot of, you know, setting the vision, mission values, but really holding true to that. You know, the budget to me is a policy document where we spend our money is where we're headed. And so I could always come back and say, well, is this related to us achieving our North Star. And if it was, then we'd have a conversation about the urgency of that. And we did deal with some emergencies that happens, but um, you try to not let that knock you off center. So it was just really honestly starting with myself and recognizing when I would start to go in that spiral. I didn't always catch myself right away. And I would definitely have to circle back and be like, oh, I missed the boat on that. Because what also happens, I'm going to take a little bit of a deviation, but when we get into these roles of just like constant emergency response, and we talk about it as on the hamster wheel, you make mistakes. It goes back to that attention, right? When we're in this stress mode, our ability to really creatively problem solve and tap into our intuition and creativity diminishes. And so recognizing that, I would always try to take some space to say, like, what else could be true or what else can we do here? Because oftentimes, you know, you come with that one thing that you think is going to fix it, but you don't take the time to really say, is this going to help us achieve what we're hoping to achieve? So, I mean, I think it's just a, a retraining our mindset, really, and starting at the top with leadership, taking those moments of pause to help reset the culture. I mean, it's not that simple. I know it sounds super simple because we're on a podcast, but you know, but <laughs> you got to condense it down. <laughs> yeah. Cause, oh my gosh, have I made some, some missteps on that, but 
um, that gets into the repair piece. Yeah, a few things there I think are important to anchor on. They sound obvious, and yet so many leaders and leadership teams I work with don't have them dialed in. And that is one, clarity on what's our vision. And two, not just what's the strategy, but above all else, we're going to do this and then this and then this to get there. So you've got clarity on the big things that have to get done and you've prioritized them. And the final thing that I'll add, you didn't share this related to that, is knowing what assumptions are underpinning our strategy or our roadmap that if they change, we need to revisit things. So knowing what are the signals we're watching for that tell us in advance before we hit that stressor that we've got to start thinking about a pivot and then delegate monitoring that to people. Because like you said, and I want to reinforce it because it's that important, when we go into stress, we have a physiological response. It happens in our body. We don't control it. That causes us to tunnel vision on the stressor at hand. And we lose all ability until we've been able to re-regulate our nervous system to step back and have perspective. So if you start making decisions from a place of stress, And if you're always in fighting fire mode, you're in chronic stress. You're going to be doing the easiest thing to resolve the stressor, which as you pointed out, is often not the thing that needs to be done to solve the underlying problem. Yeah. So you've got to like know where we're going, know what are the assumptions so we can watch for them. And then you've got to anchor on the last thing you shared, which is really having a dialed-in practice of when issues emerge because they will. First, taking a moment to breathe and re-regulate the nervous system so you're not making a decision from a place of stress. And then two, getting curious to make sure we're solving the right problem. Yep. One thing that comes up for me is actually something we do in our family. So it's not, you know, in the leadership realm, but, you know, I've got two teenagers and we talk about, we use a a traffic signal system. So how we regulate ourselves and noticing and really teaching my children how to notice where they're at. And so we have a common language and you can, you know, do this with your teams too. But we, when we're in our red zone, we are in our low quality thinking, our low quality mood and our reactive state. You know, we know we don't do anything. That's when we're going to cause harm to each other. And so we we recognize that, oh, we're in our red state. And so now we have a language. Like I'll say to my husband, hey, I'm in my red state. They're like, I'll come back. You know, the yellow state is kind of like that in between. Mm-hmm. I'm regulating myself. And the green zone is kind of that flourishing. Like I'm in my, my yeah. more better quality thinking. We try not to just prescribe like good, bad, negative, positive, because I think all of our emotions are alert signals that we're having some thinking going on and just noticing that. So when we notice and we have that common language, we can say, I'm in my red zone. We know we're not going to do anything. We're not going to have any big conversations. You know, maybe it's just like, Hey, I need a little hug or some love. And so creating that amongst teams, it doesn't have to necessarily be a a traffic signal, but that there's a common language and understanding when you're in a different zone, you can just tell somebody and then that helps alleviate or, you know, prevent 
some of these cycles that we get into of, I call it the drama cycles at work, you know, and that just comes from noticing, but then having some common language on a team about how to talk about it. Yeah. Having those agreements in place before we hit the speed bump is so helpful. And that brings us back to the other topic you'd surfaced earlier, which is repair work. That's something I always share with teams is we're going to have conflict. It's not because you're bad or I'm bad or even that you did something wrong or I did something wrong. It's because we're two people with two different lived histories who bring two different sets of assumptions into how we come to work. And when our assumptions go like this or like this, that's going to create conflict. And so if we can embrace it as something that just is and remove the judgment, then the next step is to say, when that happens, how can we repair it? What are the norms? What's the language we can use that shortcuts that allow us to work through it faster or easier or avoid it? And let's agree on that now while times are good so that when it's stressful and our cognitive and emotional capacity is low and our battery is out, we don't have to try and get creative. We've already got something that we've dialed in and practiced before. Yep. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that's great, right? Like when you're in the green zone, it's the time to talk about like how do you address these situations? And, you know, I think just one of the things that comes up for me in that is, and and I, I think we're not, I never learned this so much, but like, how do we be compassionate to ourselves first? You know, again, going to the inside, like when I've messed up or I'm at conflict with somebody, I'm my own worst critic, right? And I go back and I replay things and gosh, the churn and the thoughts in my head. But like, I wasn't at my best at that moment, let's just say. And I'm a human being. So like, that's gonna, like, let's just normalize, right? Like, when are we always gonna be just, you know, in that green zone? It's just not never, never. (laughs) So, you know, like just being compassionate to myself and then having that that empathy for myself first and then empathy, empathy for the other. I mean, I may not be the one who's always creating the conflict, But always, I mean, we talk about assuming best intent. And when you're in that moment and you're feeling really hurt, it's really hard to, you know, get into that place of, you know, compassion for the other person. And so it's, it's, I think, you know, recognizing again, like my own internal stories and meaning making of the situation may be totally different from that other person's. So then coming back for a pair of curiosity of like, what was going on for you? Because this is the story and the meaning I'm making of this. And then I think it helps, you know, also in conflict, understanding that we all have our separate realities and neither one is necessarily wrong because they're realities that are are made up out of thought in our own heads. So, you know, sometimes in business, like, right, we've got to, we got to move the dial. We got bottom lines. We have things that we do have to achieve. But again, it's like how we do that repair, how we stand in curiosity and empathy to move forward can help us get out of that cycle um, a lot quicker and maybe even a little bit more graceful than had you not had that own awareness. And then, like you said, those agreements for how do we do that repair? Yeah. You've talked a lot about doing the work and it's clear you've done it. So for leaders who want to do this work with their teams, 
and I'll leave this work broadly open-ended. I'm curious, what advice or insight would you offer them? Because I know that's a that's a big thing that leaders come to me for coaching on is how do I scale this? Because this work is good for me, but I want to do it with everyone else. Sure. Because everybody is, you know, we're we're at our own levels of readiness and receptivity to this work, right? So I'm assuming that the leaders that are coming to you are open and saying, I want to do this differently. Help yes. teach me how to do this <laughs> differently. And I, you know, always seeing myself as a lifelong learner and curious, like I love that, but not everybody is that way. And so it's really about knowing who on your teams are really receptive and then working with them, whether it's bringing in somebody to work as a team and building teams or having them work with individual coaches. I mean, I think you will know on your team how that works. And then one of the things that we looked at, like as I was implementing our equity program and really weaving that into the fabric of the department is we, we use the term fractals a lot. And, you know, this idea that if one person, two people can start to get this learning and then we start to embody it and practice it, then it starts to grow and then somebody else sees it and starts to model and adapt because we know that modeling is a huge way to you know, really build the culture that you want. And so looking at how do we build fractals into the larger organization? No, of course. The thing I like about that that's different than some conventional leadership wisdom is not trying to get everyone in on the same big group training and expecting that if we all get the same training and learn the same language that everyone will immediately start showing up differently. And that's just not how it works. And the way that you talked about when I started showing up differently around how to fight fires, slowly other people started showing up differently around how to start fighting fires. So a great way to scale that change is to start with who are, what's the next circle out? How do we broaden the aperture of this new way of working to the next group of willing participants? And then we'll go from there and keep broadening and broadening. And I love that approach because it isn't forced. It allows people who want the support and who want to grow to opt into it. And it's the path of least resistance, which don't we need a little bit of that today? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Don't we need just a little bit more ease in our life? (laughs) Yeah, I love that term ease. And that's something that keeps resonating with me is that, you know, because I really truly believe from that place of ease is the creativity and tapping into our inner wisdom. And I really felt like through the pandemic with the constant just response and everything being at this heightened level we lost sight of our inner ease and creativity. I know I did. Like my creativity, I recognized it. I was like, I have lost all of my ability to be creative. And that's one of the things that like brings me joy as a leader is like, how do we be nimble? Even in a government, there's like ability to be nimble and try different things. I mean, you know, within the parameters, but like that creativity in service to the community is what kept me going for so long. And then one day I woke up and I'm like, wow, where did my creativity go? 
And I think that if we can all really bring that back, because I think every person at the level of an organization knows their job and has this wisdom that can be brought forward, you know, to really build better systems and structures. But that's been, I felt like tamped down a little bit just because of the the pattern we've gotten into that over overload of the system. Yeah, creativity requires time and it yeah. requires not just a half an hour here or an hour here. It requires time to take a walk without an agenda. It requires time to sit on the couch and just stare out the window. It requires time to play and experiment. And when you do the experimentations without any expectation of success, and that those things can't happen in a system where people are trying to figure out, how am I going to squeeze in that last email before I go to pick my kids up? Yep. Yep. It's so funny. I'm, I can't believe I'm going to share this, but you know, when I started early in my career, there was this thought that if you were not, you know, if your butt wasn't in the seat at work, you weren't working. And we don't know, you know, that, that was kind of the management style. Like you had to be seen. And for somehow I carried that for so long into my, you know, storytelling of how I showed up at work. And as you just said, like, one of the things that I've been doing through um, some mentoring is like this five-minute couch exercise. I set the timer. I sit on my couch. It's not meditation. And I just stare out the window. And some days, nothing happens. I just five <laughs> minutes have gone by. Other days, I have these insights and thoughts of like, oh my God, that's so cool. I wouldn't have thought about that had I not created space. And so one of the things that I was working with my team is like, the responding to email being in meetings is not always the most productive way that we work. And sometimes creating that space and time to just sit and be or take a walk or a bike ride, things emerge that again are the maybe the you know really great problem solvings better than what we had thought of to begin with. Yeah, that time to just be is so valuable. And the other thing that was embedded in what you just shared is the importance of reframing what productivity and success looks like. I come from, for 12 years of my life, I had to keep track of my time in 15-minute increments on a timesheet. And it really trained in this idea that the measure of my value is how many hours I work. But the amount of time should not be the measure of value. It should be, what was the output that I produced. Right. And I thought I would get a lot of resistance with clients when I started talking about let's measure success based on the output of our work together and let's set a fee based on that output and let's not count hours because if you need me for extra time or I need extra time, that's fine and vice versa. Yeah. And people have so embraced that idea and I wish that more leaders in their organizations could do that same work to really get clear on, for every person who's here, how can we frame their job in terms of here's the value you get to deliver, and then give people freedom in how they deliver that value, when they do it, within the constraints of you know, what the mission requires, right? right. If you're a cashier, you're going to need to have 
time in that seat. <laughs> yeah. But if you're in professional services, maybe not so much. Right. I love that because I think so much of the reflection I've done is I, I've, I've either put myself in a box or I've put my way of, you know, leading in a, in a box for lack of a better term. And when you start to think about things differently, it, it opens up other possibilities that, you know, are mutually beneficial, yeah. right? Like, you know, I, I think about, you know, when you're looking at how do you make people feel or, you know, what do you walk away with? That's not measured in hours, right? That's measured in, in what you're, you're doing and how you're doing it. Um, you know, and I get like, we're in systems that have to have measurement and that could be a whole other discussion, but yeah, I mean, I think about just like, just what pops into my mind is the story of how I was taking something to city council and it was in, when I worked for the city of Portland and it was a big project that wasn't a project yet. It was actually the reconstruction of the Portland building. And we really wanted all five votes on city council. And, and we mm -hmm. had a sticking point with one of the commissioners and we were just all racking our heads. Like, how do we, how do we get past this? And I used to bike commute to work, which I, I kind of miss, but it was my time. Like riding over the bridges downtown was like this freedom. And I, I was riding over the Broadway Bridge, which happens to be one of my favorite bridges. And then I got to help, you know, manage them when I came to the county. But I had this, oh my gosh, this is how we're going to solve this problem. And I got to work, called the commissioner, and we got five votes and it became a project. And now the building is reconstructed. Not because of that one thing, but like it was that moment of space and clarity yeah. that I got. And it was able to unstick that sticking point that we we're all, you know, trying to think our way out of something. And you can't always just think your way out of something or spend that hour thinking your way out of something. You got to well, open space, your space, clarity, and it it's space often in movement. There was this great research that was just published. And I can picture the two images of uh, brain activity. And one was somebody was deliberating on a topic while they were sitting. And the other one was somebody was deliberating on a topic after they were walking. And the person who'd been walking had significantly more brain activity than the person who'd been sitting. Yep. And just getting in motion unlocks so much problem solving for us. And it doesn't mean you have to exercise every day or bike to work every day. It can be as simple as if you're starting to feel that stuckness or that sensation of get up and just walk around the house. Yeah. Better get up and walk around outside so you get some of those photons in your eyes. Right. Even if it's raining, get some eye raindrops in your eyes. <laughs> but I love that because it's like when, which going back to what you said, that we all get that sense in our body. And when mm -hmm. we notice it and attend to it, it will pass, right? Like it doesn't stay long when you, yeah, give, you know, you were like, notice it and give it what it needs. But when you ignore it and tamp it down, it stays and sometimes it festers and just, you know, then you get into your red zone and, you know, mm -hmm. then you get into the cycle. So it's really just, yeah, about noticing and then taking care of your needs. Yeah. And I, I think maybe, you know, some of the systems of like, oh, I had to be in my seat working didn't al allow me to give myself that permission to do that. So we're coming to the end of our time. There's one last question I want to ask 
And that is, what's one piece of conventional leadership wisdom you think should get out the door? Yeah, I think it's along the theme of maybe creating ease. And I think about, again, early on in my my time, you know, progressing up the leadership ladder or, you know, the hierarchy is like, I would come at things with a, a forcefulness, you know, we, we can talk a little bit about energy. I know that seems woo-woo to some people, but like, you know, just this powering through this grit determination, which really helps us achieve, you know, but like, there's a different level. And I think about it, you know, it's springtime now, we're going to be planting our gardens. How do we cultivate our gardens? You know, there's, we, hopefully there's sunshine, there's watering, you know, maybe we give it love. Some people play music to their houseplants, but there's ways of nurturing that growth and production versus, you know, you're not going to, you know, plant a tomato and then like stamp it down and hoe it and, you know, like grind on it. And I just think about like how, there's there's a different shift in a way that we can do it and creating more ease. And I know that these leadership positions are exhausting and taxing, and there's a lot of you know riding on our shoulders as leaders. But I think that there's a different way that we can relate and have experiences to that that create some more ease and space than how I think I was taught is you just gotta power through things. And you know, sometimes there's a there's this time and place for that. But I yeah. think, you know, moving away from being in that place 100% of the time, and that's the shift that I had eventually made, you know, helped shape the dynamic and even my experience and joy of, of leadership. Yeah, what you just shared resonates so much with me. I had those same messages in my in myself. And when I before I went through my coaching program, I was in the corporate world. And I felt like I had to fight for things. Like I felt like I had to challenge the status quo, set a vision, articulate a strategy, get buy-in, push it forward. And it felt like effort. And I was not good at distinguishing. When was it really critical? Like this is a really important thing that is rooted in values that yep. really does require us to have some maybe conflict versus this is a thing I want to have happen, but it's not the right time, place, context, and the people aren't aligned. Yep. And it's a thing I want, but it's not a thing we need. And I've got to step back and let things flow. And yep. that was a hard truth for me to, to sit with. <clears throat> that yep. I had created many of my own problems <laughs> by, <laughs> right. by being in that place of force. And yep. I think we confuse sometimes that notion of grit and perseverance and resilience with needing to power through and force things. Yep. Yep. And I think it gets back to the power of our attention and noticing and getting curious. Yeah. Does that have to happen now? What do I really need to be doing? That is... Excellent parting words. (laughs) Have attention, be present with yourself, and really question, is this the right thing for me before you power through? Well, thank you so much for your time. This was a wonderful conversation, and I can't wait to hear what people think. Yeah, well, thank you for inviting me to participate. 
Empowered Leadership is brought to you by me, your host, Alexandra Reese, founder of OPA Strategy. To find out more about how you can improve your leadership, life, and impact, and do it with more confidence, ease, and joy, please reach out. You can find me on my website, opastrategy.com. That's O-P-A strategy.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to Empowered Leadership in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And please rate, review, and share with another leader in your life. It makes a huge difference in spreading the word. Thank you and have a lovely day.